Mr. Nick, how's it going? Mr. Nick, yeah, I'm doing pretty well. <laughs> yeah. So we work together. We do. Yeah. So when I got hired at Independent Helicopters, there's two locations. So there's our Stewart location and our Saratoga location. So up at the Saratoga location, it's basically the three of us. Yep. It's me, you, and our boss. Correct. And for the longest time, it was almost just Keep me. that microphone like right by your mouth. Yeah, it was only me for the longest time. Yeah. So you had like the place to yourself. So let me ask you this. What was your journey into helicopters? So what was your life before and how did you get into it? My journey into helicopters was, uh, was an interesting one. So way back in the day, I used to live in Las Vegas. And back then I was doing some things like instructing and cage fighting. <laughs> Wait, so we got, we got cage fighting. How did you get into cage fighting? You know, I, uh, there, was, there was a gym down the street and I was looking for something new to do, trying to get in better shape. And I just wandered in, assumed I would hate it spent like an hour getting the uh, crap beat out of me and decided it was good for me. So I stuck around. And what is cage fighting like? Uh, well, cage fighting is like a lot of things. You know, it's the reason why I'm missing a tooth right now, but it's not one in front. <laughs> so nobody can even can see, uh, you know, it's just really hard. It's great exercise. It's the most fun I've ever had doing anything like that. Um, you know, I used to do that depending on the day, six, seven days a week, two to four hours a day. Damn. And, uh, and I just go like run a marathon because I was in, in train. Just, I feel like running 26 miles today. Uh, I can't do that now. Yeah. Yeah. But that is where I met Shannon. Okay. My lovely fiance. And it was partially her fault that I got into helicopters. How did that go? We were driving down the road in Vegas one day and she just looked at me. She's like, you know, I think you'd make a good helicopter pilot. <laughs> That's such a random thing to say. That's what I said. And it'd been something you've been rolling around in the back of my head for a long time. So, uh, I never said it out loud to her, so I was kind of surprised where it came from. It ends up, it came from the fact that we'd watched San Andreas like two weeks previously. And, uh, you know, The Rock's a helicopter pilot in that movie. And it's the first and probably the last time anybody's ever compared me to The Rock. <laughs> and it's like, oh, if The Rock can do it, you can do it. <laughs> yeah. And so then, you know, it took me a couple of years to actually get into it. And so I moved from Vegas up to Oregon, where I ended up going to flight school. Did you have any experience with helicopters prior? I had ridden on the Magnum PI helicopter in uh, Hawaii when I was 16 years old. And that kind of like was your like step. You know, even way back when I was in high school, I wanted to be a pilot, although I thought more like fighter jets. Yeah. But I didn't really actually want to join the military. So that was never going to happen. And so it, like I'd wanted to be a pilot forever, but uh, finally decided to, I don't know, I guess you'd say like, uh, give it a try, go for it. So you, so Sh Shannon was like, you could be like the rock and fly helicopters and you're like, okay, let me give that a shot. So from that moment, how did you get to the school where you went? So, uh, my sister works for the government and I asked her once if she knew any like pilots or well, that's true. I know she knows pilots. If she knew any civilian pilots and uh, she doesn't, but she did tell me that some of her military people that she, uh, knows, they will go and do some additional training now and then up in Oregon on the civilian side. And so she had kind of pointed me that way. It was actually one of the funniest things because I was like, really, you're telling me I should go to this flight school that's 45 minutes from our parents' house, like out of all the places. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I went up, we went up there, I researched it. They uh, seemed pretty, you know, I don't know, legit from what I could tell, though I knew nothing about flight schools at the time, right? Like I just knew I wanted to fly helicopters. And then I went up and gave an intro flight to try. So, so you, you drove to Oregon and then took your first intro, right? Oh, no, no. Other way around. We moved to Oregon. Oh my God. Because uh, we were going to leave Vegas anyway. Uh, I'd lived there for 10 years. She hadn't been there for seven. And it was one of these, like, do we want to stay in Vegas forever things? No. All right. We should leave. Uh, we wanted to go and give somewhere with like mountains and rivers and things like that a try anyway. Yeah. Get out and, of the desert. Yeah. And that was also beyond the cage fighting. That was when I started getting into EMS and there was a, a good uh, ambulance company up in Portland. And I interviewed with them from Vegas. They gave me a job. I was like, Oh, I guess we're moving to Oregon. And then there happens to also be this flight school. It's convenient. Yeah. The original plan was I was going to finish paramedic school and then also do flight school at the same time. And uh, well, anyway, paramedic school in Portland didn't want to transfer any of my classes from Vegas. So I just went to flight school. Yeah. So you went full time to flight school. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you this. 
I want to I want to talk about like what your typical day looked like as a flight student there versus mine. <laughs> but the first thing is, did you know how expensive it was going to be before you did it? I mean, kind of, right? Like I went and priced it out, mm-hmm. and I was wrong. Yeah. So, so I had this idea in my head, like, oh, it's going to cost so and so amount, and uh, it definitely cost more than I was thinking. So you got your private, your commercial, your CFI, your instrument, and your instrument instructor. Yep. So all five. How much did it cost you? I've never been quite brave enough to total it up, but I think it was right about 95. 95,000. That's cheaper than me. I think mine was 117. Yeah. I uh, uh, say I figured it cost like 75 was, yeah. was the number in my head, and I was definitely wrong. So how did you pay for it? It was kind of a mix. So I even once I decided I wanted to do it, I spent about a year saving up money. You know, the nice things about like EMS, like on an ambulance or healthcare or whatnot, is uh, unlimited overtime. Nice. So for 10 months, I worked almost every day to the point where after 10 months, Shannon informed me that if I wanted to continue having a lovely fiance, I need to stop working <laughs> seven days a week. Right. But, you know, I saved up a bunch of money that way and it was all gone in like four months. But uh, so wait, so you paid for like the first four months of flight training out of your savings? Yeah, out of that. And then it was loans. You know, Shannon yeah. and I had some money in the bank, most uh, more her than me. But I didn't want to blow it all on flight training. So. Mm-hmm. Loans, yeah. lots and lots of loans. That's Sally May and me are friends. <laughs> so th- that's what I have too. I just have loans out my eyes and uh, we'll talk about it later, but hopefully we can make that back and yeah. hopefully the industry I'm will pace. I'm hoping so. <laughs> so, okay. So you went to Hillsboro. Yep. What did a day in your life look like as a student? And you, you totally committed, right? Oh yeah. 100%. So you were a flight student. Yep. Uh, so it took me right about two years to get through all five of my uh, licenses certifications mm-hmm. and i would work usually four or five days a week on the ambulance we would do 13 and a half hour shifts and so i would work overnight ambulance calls so at 3 a.m i would if you called 911 i was the person that showed up at your house mm-hmm. i'd usually get off work depending on the shift between 5 6 7 a.m go home sleep until about two in the afternoon and then i would roll into hillsborough and they required us to get there at least an hour ahead of time there were more students than there were helicopters even though there were a lot of helicopters and they were first come, first serve. So if you wanted to make sure you got to fly that day, you showed up early, you got your name on a list. That sounds like an interesting system. It was an interesting system. Okay. So I would usually show up at least an hour before my flight. Yeah. And sometimes more like two hours. That was also when I did my best job at studying when I wasn't distracted at the house. And uh, so I'd go there and stay there depending on, you know, on the day, right? I mean, flying, ground, however the day worked out. And then roll from there to my am- next ambulance shift for like <sighs> two straight years. That's brutal. Yeah, it was rough, but it got done. Yeah, no, so so you got it done. So your private, how long was your private about? I think about, I think it took me seven or eight months. Okay. There's a lot of weather delays in Oregon. Due to what? Fog. Oh, okay. Rain. Yeah, like just the Pacific, what's it, Pacific Northwest? Yep. PNW? I one time had a, I think it was six weeks I couldn't fly because it was just six straight weeks of like fog and rain. Oh my God. That's brutal. Okay. So your private took you maybe six, seven, I think like eight months. Okay. So was it your, just your day schedule? Was it like a flight in a ground every day? That's what I tried to do. So I would book myself at school usually five days a week. Did you book yourself? Well, that's my instructor. Yeah. Okay. My instructor was amazing and is still a really good friend of mine to this day. And uh, he was very, uh, flexible with my scheduling you know my schedule was pretty much all over the place and he managed to squeeze me in as much as I wanted to so I would book myself four or five days a week and if it was a day that I could fly I'd fly and if it was a day that I would uh, we couldn't fly it was ground you know in, in Oregon especially you know nine months out of the year where the uh, weather isn't any good it was like 50 50 like there's half- nine months where the weather's not great yeah about <laughs> 10 months nine months 10 months oh that sounds like a terrible place to do a flight school but I mean mm-hmm. You get a lot of experience in the weather. Yeah, I guess so. So a ground in a flight when you can make it happen yep. and about eight months. So you did you have one instructor for the entire duration of your private? So I had the same instructor for my private instrument and commercial. Okay, nice. So the way, the way it worked at Mauna Loa where I went is we would have like one instructor for our private, hopefully if it worked, and they encouraged you to switch. Like if you did not get along with your flight instructor, switch. And I tell my students that too. It's kind of difficult at like a smaller flight school to like switch instructors because there's less instructors to go around. But if you don't get along with your instructor, you should switch. But we would do like one instructor per rating. 
So one instructor for private commercial, but every five hours of flight time, we would switch. So a new instructor would get to like, see how we work. And we try to do that same thing at our, our place. We switch our students up. We do. So they can one of the reasons why I was happy to get you around there too. Yeah. But it was only me. It made it really tough to switch things for people. Yeah. And I mean, before I came, you were working like a madman, right? So how many flight hours would you say at independent you're working now? How many flight hours? Yeah. Did you work like, I guess before I got there? Uh, I think when you got there, I was around 1300, like probably like 12, 1300 hours or so, something along those lines. Nice. Over the course of how long? Uh, just a hair over a year. <sighs> you know, and when I started, because I moved out here, it was two years ago in January. I, uh, you know, started, did my training, didn't have much to do, was just starting to get a few students and then COVID lockdowns. So we closed up for, I think it's Saratoga around like six weeks, maybe like four or five, six weeks. So it's, you know, a month, month and a half, or didn't fly period. And then we opened back up. The FAA released this really vague ruling that flight schools could consider themselves essential. If I remember to. that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so I considered myself essential and I went back to work. <laughs> so back, back to the school thing real quick. What would you tell yourself? What I guess, what do you wish you knew before you went to flight school and specifically Hillsborough? So there's, there's a couple things. And I try to pass along those, those uh, let's say, tips to my students that I have now. You know, it's always the things I didn't know. You know, what I honestly didn't grasp when I was a student, and this is probably private instrument most of the way through my commercial, was really like, what was I in for with flight school? Like, I didn't really, I trusted my instructor implicitly to like guide me through and make sure I was doing the things I should be doing. Like, that he, you know, he knew like the bigger picture, but I never had like a good grasp on what the bigger picture of flight school was. Uh, probably partially because I was just so busy all the time. I didn't have time to sit back and really dwell on it. But so I try to do that. I try to really share with people like, here's your bigger picture. Here's where you are progressing. Like, here's where you are now. Here's what we're trying to get you to be. Things like that. And, you know, the other thing I didn't have a good grasp on was <laughs> you get a job. Like I was, I was going on faith that I was going to spend $95,000, dollars mm-hmm. and at the end be able to come up, find a job. But I mean, it was stressful. Like at the end, even when I was doing my flight instructor and in, in double I, uh, I was just hoping that I was going to like somehow turn this into a job. So, well, you makes me think of something. What was your, how did, what was the order of getting your ratings? So we didn't do it the same way as Mauna Loa because mm-hmm. we talked about this once or twice. Uh, private instrument commercial, then CFI and double I. Interesting. Okay. So how I did it is I did private commercial and CFI at the same time and IFR and double I at the same time. So there's pros and cons to both systems. So what was your journey like getting a job right out of school? And how many hours did you have when you finished school? 212 hours after my double I check ride. It's pretty low, man. And even at that, like, I probably could have had it around 200. Like I did some long line training. I did some training I didn't really necessarily need, Mm -hmm. need, need to do, but it was fun. Uh, so I had come across independent helicopters on social media. I think I'd, I think I'd seen, like, I think I'd I follow, found Heather through Whirly Girls. I love Whirly Girls. And Heather, Heather's the owner of our company. Heather's the owner of our company, yeah. And so I'd seen her on, like, social media. And as I was nearing the end of my training, finally, I was starting to talk to Shannon about what we want to do from there. Like, do we want to stay in Oregon? She was never very happy in Oregon. Mm-hmm. Uh, she likes sun and there's not very much of that in Oregon. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So uh, I was like, Hey, should I try and get a job with Hillsborough? I thought they would hire me. I think they would have. Uh, or should we go, should we be looking somewhere else? And I'm like, but if I sign up to be a flight instructor, like that's pretty much at least a two year gig. Yeah. And she by like, absolutely was like, no, I don't want to stay in Oregon two more years. So then I started expanding my search and it was like daily searching. Like I had like every day to see what was popping up, if nothing else, just to get an idea, like where are their jobs? Like, what do we want to do? And this job opens up here on an independent helicopter. And I'd seen Heather on social media and she did, uh, she would do trainings for the FAA on like safe practices and like accident reports and, and, you know, things along those lines. And I figured someone who does safety training for the FAA can't possibly be a terrible person to work for. <laughs> yeah. Right. And she, you know, she's going down to Heli Expo again in a month, I guess it's a yeah. month. Right. And sh- I'm sure she's going to be doing something again down there. So 
I sent off my resume to uh, Independent after talking to Shannon. And they got back to me in a couple days. Then I did a couple FaceTime interviews, pre-Zoom, mm-hmm. and before Zoom was a thing. Yeah. And they offered me a job after like two weeks and a few FaceTime interviews. And I was still waiting to do my double eye. Nice. So I was, I was actually waiting on my double eye check ride. So I, I, I accepted their job provisionally, uh, or I guess once I finished my double eye. And it was in like November, I think. And it took me two months to get my check ride in because <sighs> weather, weather, helicopter would break, you know, whatever, whatever. It was just delay after delay after delay. Were you hating that time period? The whole time. Like you felt so bad, probably. I had like, so my, I had my ambulance supervisors like notify me, like, just so you know, if the stars ever align and like my DPE and the helicopter can show up at the same day, like I'm calling out sick that day. Yeah. So even like my ambulance supervisors, like, yeah, yeah, no, you know, it's, it's fine. If that, if that day ever happens, we're not going to hold it against you. Okay. So you found the job at independent. Was there any other schools that you were looking at? So it wasn't so much any particular schools. It was more like areas of the country. I figured I would, if anything, find somewhere else that would, that, uh, I don't know what I want to say, would be good for Shannon. Like, mm-hmm. Because, you know, that was kind of like, she's followed me around a lot of places. And you and I have talked about this otherwise. Yeah. And I wanted to go somewhere that she would be happy. I didn't actually think New York would be that place. Yeah. And I, just, I just threw this out just because. And, and upstate was, New York yeah, at that. She's like, I'd love to go to New York. Really? All right. Whatever you say, dear. But uh, so, no, I was actually looking more like the area country where you're from. So mm-hmm. like Colorado, you know, um, even somewhere down like, you know, Arizona, Phoenix. She's not a big fan of hot and humid. So it wasn't going to be Florida. So ba- not back to the desert? No, no. And she didn't want to go back to Vegas either. Yeah. Like been there, didn't want to go back. Uh, I'd even talked about Southern California, mm-hmm. except I didn't know if we'd be able to afford to live there on a flight instructor salary. Right. Uh, so anyway, I just as things would pop up, she wants to, she wanted to go to the Carolinas. So I would look for flight schools in like North or South Carolina. There really weren't much, but I was just keeping my eyes. This one popped up and she seemed excited. I applied to exactly one flight school to be a instructor. So wow. I sent in my, my resume here and I had a job here, whatever it was like two weeks later. So my story was actually relatively similar. I was in my CF double I training. But independent, I sent in resume to, I sent a resume out to like five different places. I heard back from every single one. And I mean, like bare minimum, like, I mean, I guess having your CFII is a good thing and better than some of the industry. But in my eyes, I'd like the bare minimum, like on my SFAR sign off, my just the minimum hours, but I heard back from everyone. So if anyone out there is thinking about going on this, this journey and you want to be like a flight instructor, I think it's pretty hot right now. Yeah, I think so. And you know, that, that you actually just reminded me of that. One of the things I tell people now is so much of it depends on if you're willing to move. If you're willing to move, both of us obviously were. There are jobs. Like there are jobs out there if you're willing to go. If you want a job in the town you happen to live in, you know, well, sometimes you have to wait. Yeah. And that's the thing about being a flight instructor is you kind of just have to, I guess, suck it up. Mm-hmm. And if you're willing to move, you'll probably get a job. I mean, you have to be like a quality person and have no derogatory marks on your background. But you'll probably get a good job. And if you're a good flight instructor and I kind of want to pivot that to that point, what would you say makes a good flight instructor? And what would you tell yourself before being a flight instructor? You know, something they told me at Hillsborough, and I think it's really plant, uh, panned out to be true is just, you know, don't worry about the hours you're getting. Don't worry about, you know, all of those things because they come as long as you like genuinely, I guess you'd say like dedicate yourself to your students, care about what they're doing do your best to help them along their way, along their journey, right? Because everybody's work is on the same sort of journey, right? It's hard, but we know more about it than them. And I think if you just give flight instructing your all, all the other things come with it, right? The hours come with it. The, you know, I have, uh, I've definitely given my all to all of my students. And I, and I, and I try to, I mean, to this day, try to give everything to everyone. I mean, my phone's on silent, but I'm sure I've got 15 texts over Mm -hmm. there. And I think that's the biggest thing, right? Like you don't need to know everything. You don't need to be the world's best pilot. You just need to be the best instructor you can be. And uh, I think as long as someone does that, the rest of it just kind of works itself out. Yeah. And I mean, oh, and keep yourself at our 22 weight. <laughs> yeah. Keep yourself at a, at a reasonable flight weight. If you care about your students, you show up every day. And I think if you have a good attitude, it mm-hmm. makes such a difference. My first flight instructor was very rude and very mean and did not want to be a flight instructor. And that really 
hurt me not like just hurt my feelings but it hurt my progression in flight training having a bad flight instructor can really set you back and make you not want to continue there's i mean you'll hear stories about people that started flight training and their instructor was an ass and they just were like i don't want to do this anymore yeah i mean and think i mean think how much money people are spending six figures to be commercial pilots like that's a lot of money to spend doing something that you're not that you're not having a good time at you're hating yeah so so you got two independent helicopters at 212 hours. I did. And now you're sitting where? A little over 1,600 right now. Okay, 1,600 hours. And how long has it been that you've been here? Uh, almost exactly two years. Okay, so you gave about 1,400 hours of dual given in two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totaled up the other day. I think it's more like 1,300-ish because you know, I've done other things while I'm here too. Right, yeah. so, so there's been plenty of, well, not plenty of, but you've done commercial work. So- with your limited experience in that commercial work, what have you done? So we do lots of various things independent, right? So lots of just tours, especially, you know, upstate New York during leaf season. I take people up on tours. It feels like, you know, multiple times a week. Uh, you know, I've also done the other fun ones, right? Tours down in New York City. We do aerial survey. So we'll take photographers out who, uh, we have a bunch of photographers that we take out who photograph job sites. So I've taken them out before. Um, power line stuff. I took the only real power line things I've done involve some guys who were, I think were taking pictures of the shrubbery around some power lines to see which things needed to be trimmed back. But, you know, nice, barely above ETL hover, crazy wind, uh, frost patrol, which was an adventure. Tell me that adventure. Well, I don't know if you'll get the opportunity because it's not something Heather enjoys doing because it's probably super dangerous. Mm-hmm. So, we first spring I was here, there was a cold snap, um, May ish, something along those lines, May or June. And there were some farmers all over the place who had berry crops that were going to be destroyed by just these couple nights below freezing. So they hire us to take the helicopters out and like hover them over the top of their fields during the coldest part of the day, which is about three to 5 AM, and find with this thermometer in the helicopter. So we'll go and find the air above the helicopter or above the ground that's above freezing. And then we just use our downwash to blow it back down to the ground. So there's like a temperature inversion. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, And they would be like running around on their field, like down there was multiples of them uh, with thermometers. So they would find like the cold part of their crop and have us go and like slow roll over the top of them. Wow. They told me afterwards that we saved the crops, but it was a difference between being like two degrees below freezing, like three degrees above freezing. And I guess that was the difference for their berry crops. Uh, it was uh, two nights in a row from, you know, an entire tank of fuel. So uh, pretty close to three hours. Like we were, there wasn't a lot of fuel left when we were coming back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as soon as the sun came up, the temperatures would climb and they didn't need us anymore. So it was just the coldest part of the night. But while you're doing that, the, you know, there's no lights. So this, this place I was at was going to was the middle of a mountain in the middle of the night. I've got a Google Maps photo that shows power lines running to the farm, but you can't see them. Oh my God. And you're just like doing these, these like steep approaches to a black hole. And there's like a farmer with a flashlight, like waving <laughs> you down. Like, I'm going to die. Like, this is it right here. That actually, that like <laughs> sounds terrible. Yeah. So it's super dangerous. And actually one of the nights I did it, someone crashed a helicopter doing the exact same thing, just up the river. Wow. Uh, so when I would do it though, cause you also can't really see the edges of the field. I would go and do these like really awkward pedal turns. Cause it was just kind of like back and forth, back and forth all night. Uh, I guess all morning. And so I would do these really awkward pedal turns where I keep the tail over the field, no matter what direction the wind was coming from. Mm-hmm. So it was lots of pedal work. It was just exhausting. And that was how the person crashed. He actually did some turn and his tail rotor hit a branch. And that was how he crashed a helicopter. I believe it. Mm-hmm. All it takes. And I, mean, I was super paranoid about that the whole time. That was the actual image in my head of what terrible thing was going to happen. Yeah. And how, how new into this job were you at that point? I think I had like 500 hours. Actually, yeah, that's like a fair amount of experience. Yeah. Still not, still not great. So do you, with that said, and do you regret not doing tours or right after flight school going into flight instruction? Do you think it was the right path? I think it was the right path for me. So, you know, one of the other things I tell people, not everybody wants to be a flight instructor and that's, that's fine. You don't have to be, I do think the route is a little bit more difficult if you're not a flight instructor, but that doesn't mean you can't go. You know, the, the good thing about being a flight instructor that if nothing else, even if you don't want to be an instructor, and I've spent a couple of years doing auto rotations. I don't even know how many thousands of auto rotations I've done now, but uh, 
you know, for the rest of my career, if something were to happen, I feel pretty solid doing an auto rotation if I have to. And that's not something you get to practice if you go straight into tours. That's right? a great point. And so I am, I mean, I'm not going to say like, I'm as good on emergency procedures I'm ever going to get because I'll be flying other helicopters and there's new things to learn. But when all said and done, like, I feel, I feel pretty solid on those things. And, you know, you flew with me the other day. Mm -hmm. I feel like I can do an emergency procedure if I need to. <laughs> and that, and it's, it's my years as a flight instructor that's given me the experience to go and like feel that confident. It's so true. I mean, let's say you get just your commercial, your private and commercial. Technically, you do have everything you need to go work in the industry. And let's say by the grace of God, you go get a tour job and you build up 1500 hours. That person who just did straight and level and takeoffs and landings versus a flight instructor who's done vortex ring state, settling with power, um, slopes, autos all day long and had to teach people how to hover, who do you think is going to be more prepared and literally a better pilot? I'm not saying you can't be a bad pilot with just tour experience, but the experiences that you find yourself in as a flight instructor really challenge your abilities and push you to the limits. They do. And, you know, and, it, and that's just the skills side, right? There's also the knowledge side. Like I've spent a couple of years teaching people regulations and not that I have every regulation memorized because I certainly don't, but there's a much lower chance for those down the road jobs that I'm going to break some silly regulation because I just didn't know it existed. Yeah. And like teaching aerodynamics by, by having to learn the aerodynamics to get your CFI rating and then teaching them, I think you have a better understanding of the helicopter and what you can and can't do with it by having to teach. So as you have now accrued 1600 hours, where do you see yourself? Um, what's on your horizon and where do you see yourself in 10 years? You know, it's a, it's hard to give a, an exact 10 year estimate. You know, I have, I don't know, three, four, five jobs that are kind of on like my helicopter bucket list. Mm. And with luck, I'm going to be going off and giving one of those a whirl soon. But I would just like to be doing one of those, right? And so what I see myself doing is have, hopefully having some job that you know, makes a little bit more money than being a flight instructor. But uh, beyond that, actually finally having time to do things like go on vacations to, you know, I'd like, I'd like the helicopter to be fun and exciting because I purposely did not get a desk job. Yeah. But I'd also like to be able to live my life a little bit more than I have been as a flight instructor as well. And that, that's kind of what I would like. But otherwise... I don't know if, 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 you know, when the next one doesn't work out, uh, wildland firefighting, I think I'd really like to do, I actually worked on hand crews way back when as a summer job as a wildland. And what's a hand crew? I was the guy that was out in the forest fighting fires with a shovel. Nice. <laughs> uh, which is a fun job when, you know, you're, you know, your age. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, not really a forever. Well, I mean, some people do it forever, not very many people. And then when I worked on any EMS on the ambulance, I actually went and worked uh, I would take my ambulance out uh, to wildfires and provide medical care to the guys doing the job I used to do. So, you know, getting to come around someday and perhaps do that uh, as the pilot, it almost feels like coming full circle. Um, but, you know, that like I've always wanted to like, go off to Alaska as a helicopter pilot for a season. Doing There's, tours or something? Uh, not too, probably not tours. Okay. I, don't, I, don't think I'm a, I don't think I'm a tour pilot. Yeah. I, you know, when I was off last week, when I took those few days off, I met a guy who had done exactly what you just mentioned, just got his commercial, went off and became a tour pilot. And he was telling me about like the tours they do, including a two minute tour. They call it the up down. <laughs> and you know what? I just don't think, I don't think I'm cut out for that. Yeah. Like, you know, just up in the air, back down all day, every day. Yeah. But, uh, you know, in Alaska, they don't have as many roads. You know, the interstate system isn't quite as impressive up there as down here because they're, it's huge and there's not as many people. So, you know, they have towers on top of all the mountains up there, but they don't have roads to go to the towers. And so they use helicopters, right? You just go and you just like drop people off mountaintop to mountaintop to mountaintop and then just kind of leapfrog around all day. Crazy pinnacle landings, some of the most gorgeous scenery you're ever going to see. Uh, it can be fun to try for a season. Uh, you know, I would be totally willing to go off to Antarctica for a year and give yeah. that a whirl. One of the things that I've been thinking about doing, I haven't done any research into this, but I know that Africa has like kind of a lot of cool helicopter stuff. They do. Yeah. And like, I don't like, I don't know. It'd be, I, I have this image in my head of like being in a helicopter and like circling a group of elephants with the sun setting and like a zebra in the background. So that was actually my original plan is what I wanted to do after really? being a flight instructor. So I went to Egypt years ago, just on vacation. I had a great time and I've always wanted to get back to Africa. 
So previous to COVID, there used to be a lot of jobs like that because they don't really have the interstate system. And so they use helicopters to get around, like all sorts of things use helicopters. And a lot of those jobs over there were like 28 on, 28 off. It's a lot. Uh, yeah, I mean, you work for four straight weeks, but then you get, you know, you get four straight weeks off. Yeah, actually, yeah, that's a great point. Uh, my sister, with her jump job for the government, used to have a similar sort of schedule. And she would, every time she had, she would get three weeks off. Every time she got three weeks off, she'd pick somewhere, like go off to Croatia on vacation, or just go, because you're already on the other side of the world. So, why yeah, not? Like, why it's, not vacation? It's a four hour flight. So, look, and I was like, that sounds like something fun. But this, a lot of those jobs are harder right now with like COVID uh, restrictions, like quarantines and whatnot. Yeah, exactly. And like the vaccine part, that, that's, that's also an interesting concept to talk about, like the vaccines in the helicopter industry, but we won't, we won't get into it on this one. So how old are you? 43? Yeah, <laughs> you sure right. about that? Not really. <laughs> I, I, do, I try not to think about the number. 43. So, so when people ask, is it too late to get started in helicopters? You had a pretty big career shift, pretty, mm-hmm. not late in your career, but. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't think so. You know, when I was thinking about it, and this is talking about it with Shannon as well, I figured I had you know what, 25 good years of work left in me. Mm-hmm. And it was like, what do I want to spend 25 years doing? Like, what could I actually just do and be happy doing? And this is that thing for me. Like, I'm, you know, now I, my first ever flight at the controls, my intro flight was in October of 2017. And I'm just as happy flying helicopters now as I was that first time. Like, I, I just don't see a t- foresee a time where I ever don't enjoy what I'm doing. What, and while you were instructing, was there any times where you didn't want to be in the helicopter or just has it just in helicopters in general? Is there any time where you weren't loving it for me? And this is also something I tell my commercial students and, you know, the CFIs I've been training. It's when I do the same lesson over and over and over again. Like mm-hmm. I don't, it doesn't even matter so much what the lesson is, right? If I have to teach five people a day, you know, how to hover in a row that gets old. If I'm doing, you know, five flights in a row where I'm teaching anything, slopes, running landings, I mean, any maneuver you can think of, that starts kind of getting, that's where it starts getting a little wearing on me. So one of the nice things about doing it as long as I have is I have so many students now at various stages of their training. It's, I can always kind of mix it up. Like, oh, I'm going to go do one flight and I'm going to go down and, you know, talk to a tower and then I'll go do off airports with somebody else. And all right, here's the person I need to teach how to hover. And, you know, just having, being able to mix it all up like that makes it nice. You know, the same thing, you know, you know, these, what these days have been like lately, like when you're doing just ground after ground after ground, sometimes that gets a little bit old. It does. And I mean, even today I had two students back to back with the exact same lesson mm-hmm. and it, I get it. It's my job and I'm grateful that I have the knowledge to be able to teach it. But I mean, it's like being a school teacher, you know, mm-hmm. teaching the same lessons over and over and over again. So as you are a flight instructor, what is the scariest thing a student has ever done to you? You know, I think the scariest thing that ever happened to me, and it was the one that, you know, you also think about when you're the flight instructor was the student who felt the need to roll off the throttle entering the auto for, before lowering the collective. Just like three, two, one, throttle. Yeah. Uh, you know, you hear these stories about like the 1.6 seconds you have to get the collective down if, uh, you know, your engine fails on you. Mm-hmm. And having someone do that, one, that, that, that kick, and that, 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 yeah, you definitely feel that. It's it's hard. And then too, you can't help but just see those RPMs going. Uh, yeah, that was that was. I've had that happen to me twice now, and both times, man, you 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 get down. And it's like I just I need a few seconds. <laughs> I, I'm, I feel happy to be alive right now. So, but hey, my reactions are there, so that's nice. So while with give me give me the rundown of one of those. Try to give me a little like set up the story. I was down with somebody else's student. In fact, both times there was somebody else's student. Uh, were they mine? No. Okay. <laughs> no, no, they were not. But both times we were with somebody else's student and it was someone who wasn't a brand new person, right? Someone who'd been flying for a while. Like, all right, let's, I was just kind of filling in. Like, let's go, you know, let's do an auto. Both times we're at Orange County. Mm-hmm. And uh, like, all right, setting up three, two, one, boom. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah. Those RPMs, they drop really quick. They drop so fast. And, you know, other than the fact that you have the, you know, this moment of your life flashing in front of your eyes, then trying to be nice to that student. <laughs> that, that's rough. Like this student just tried to kill me and took a good shot at it. <laughs> yeah. And it's okay. 
let's try that again after I, after you give me a second. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's go back because that is not in fact the correct way to do this maneuver. <laughs> so uh, let's let's try this again, but with less almost dying. So I've had students do the same thing to me. Um, one of my students, we were practicing settling with power of vortex ring state, and. So the recovery we teach at the school, Vortex Ring State is a state where the helicopter, you set it up at like 2000 feet, pretty far off the ground. You slow down to zero knots and you start descending vertically and your rotor disc starts to circulate its own downwash basically. And vortices are created around the disc and then you can start to descend very rapidly. So you're descending vertically and how we recover is we laterally slip to the right. So we apply right cyclic, we increase the collective and left pedal, and you slip yourself out of it laterally. And this way you don't lose a lot of altitude. Pretty normal maneuver. Um, how I do it is I introduce, I'll talk about it with the student on the ground, and then we'll go up, I'll demonstrate it a time or two, and then we'll be on the controls together. So I had done this with this student, and I think I had maybe like 100 hours of dual given at this point. So we get up there, and I demonstrate it, then we did it together on the controls, and then I was like, okay, you try. I'm right there guarding the controls. And so three, two, one, go ahead and recover. He starts slipping to the right. And I look over at my tack and it's starting to fall. And then the horn comes on. And I mean, I, I rolled on and recovered. And I was like, what happened? He's like, I don't know. And I was like, okay, set it up again. 2000 feet, slow down, start slide slipping to the right. <laughs> and then I look over and my RPMs are just falling. Like, and then I set it up a third time and I was like, okay, I'm going to watch what he does. So I look over at him and like, as we're slipping to the right, his hand is rolling the throttle off and it's like, okay, that's what's happening. Why are you doing that? And he's like, oh, I didn't know I was. And it's like, okay. So students, oh, yeah, that death grip on the throttle. <laughs> he was just nervous. So he was gripping the throttle and turning the engine off, which is, you know, these are the things that you get good at as being an instructor. You know, understanding your helicopter and hearing your helicopter and something you might not get yeah. not hey, doing that. But, you know, the good news is there's one another way to escape from, you know, vortex ring state or settling with power is if you have no power. Yeah. yeah there you go. Yeah. Just enter an auto rotation. So that, that was your scariest moment during your entire tenure of flying. What is the closest you've come to thinking you were going to die in a helicopter? Thinking I was going to die. Uh I don't know if there's really been a time where I was like, this is, this is going to be it. The, the two times where I had people roll off on me were those times where I'm like, I was a fraction of a second away from crashing a helicopter from, you know, 1600 feet up. Uh, the closest I felt like I've come to actually crashing a helicopter was in a quick stop. And I full on thought I was crashing a helicopter the whole way going down towards the ground. What well, is a quick stop? Uh, so it's a rapid deceleration. It's almost like the helicopter version of, I guess you'd say, like slamming on your brakes in a car. Yeah. Um, you know, we 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 come aft cyclic, and you know, use the other. I don't know how much you want me to get into the details. That's, no, that's yeah. okay. Okay. So, the um, this particular student it was someone who had done many, many, many uh, quick stops with me. So I wasn't really or wasn't really ready for the student to just completely come out of left field with this crazy quick stop. So student. Entered the quick stop, three, two, one, came aft, but just like slammed in the right pedal to the point where the helicopter started just like pivoting to the right. <sighs> Freaked out, slammed in the left pedal and yanked on the collective like it was an e-brake. <laughs> Manifold pressure just goes like all way past the red line. And as soon as that happened, RPMs just start dropping uh, fast. Mm -hmm. uh, low rotor horn, the horn comes on and the helicopter, it's like we're nose up, spinning to the left. And it just like, it's like it was dropped off a four-story building. Like it just felt like you're plummeting at the ground. And I, was talk I talked to Matt about this one right afterwards too. But uh, my only thought was, I, I was sure I was crashing, absolutely sure. So it was get skip the helicopter level. So helicopters are designed to crash straight down. So I'm like, so the skids at least break the impact so I yeah. don't die. And uh, I did not even have time to think about like rolling on throttle. I don't think I would have done much, but I did slam the collective down while my student was freaking out and trying to yank it up. And so what ended up happening was got the helicopter level and then it was dropping, 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 dropping. And right before I got to the ground, the RPMs were able to spin back up. Mm -hmm. And the helicopter was like crashed down and just like hit the ground, like boom, just like went back up in the air. No problem. <laughs> I had no idea it was underneath. Anything under the world could have been underneath the helicopter right then. And I just luckily put it down like between two lights on the edge of the runway. Like it was complete luck. I had no idea what was there. 
but uh yeah it ended up there was nothing but yeah i remember i remember doing it because of one way i was trying to not die and on the other side of my brain i was already thinking about how i was going to explain this to heather <laughs> hey i crashed your helicopter yeah. i've uh that's a that would be a tough phone call to make mm-hmm. the 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 toughest phone call i've had to make was just landing a helicopter in a field due to weather it's like you call the boss it's like hey the weather's not good i landed and it's like well did you check the weather yeah i checked the weather which is it's not good so all right so you said hopefully uh maybe soon you'll be moving on to a different job what do you think i won't i won't ask you to share your numbers right now but we it's commonly known that helicopter flight instructors don't get paid well mm-hmm. you know you're a commercial pilot you're a flight instructor you're a cf double high it's like you've got all of the ratings and you get paid not not well mm-hmm. do you think you'll make enough money in this career i think so you know it so much of it goes down to like i guess how much money you want i just want to be comfortable right if i wanted to be a pilot and make money i'd be a fixed wing pilot Mm-hmm. Uh, fixed wing airline pilots make a lot more money than helicopters do. Helicopters are significantly more difficult to fly, kind of irksome. But uh, yeah, like I th- I'm sure that down the road, it's going to be, you know, around that six figure mark, about as low as you can get six figures, right? But at least enough that I'm going to be comfortable. That's all I really care about. Like, I want to not have to worry about money. Yeah. Is that is that even, can you ever not worry about money? I don't know. We'll find out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When you're bringing I'd like, in, I'd like to think so. When you're bringing in one hundred eighty-five thousand dollars a year, and it's like, I just need a bit more. It's always, it's always this chase. Like, I just need one more motorcycle, <laughs> a fancy one. Yeah. So, and and that's that's the part that does irk me. You know, all of all of my fixed wing friends. I, I'm not a fixed wing pilot, just a helicopter pilot. Same, same mm-hmm. for you, right? Yep. And I have flown a plane before. This, this sounds bad, but I don't think it it is as difficult to fly a plane as it is to fly a helicopter. I think there's a lot more going on in the helicopter and to be, to not be compensated the same bothers me, I think, because it's just so much, it's not a meritocracy, you know, we are so much more skilled yeah, and we don't get compensated the same. How do you feel about that? Well, I don't really think it's the most fair thing in the world, but I, I think the the big difference, and because what they get paid for is the responsibility of all their passengers, mm. right? You know, if you've got a couple hundred people on board your airplane, even though you don't have to do much, it's the I think it's the stress of that. That's what that's what you get paid for. Plus, they have unions, yeah, <laughs> uh, collective bargaining agreements, you know, things like that. Yeah, you exactly. Know, we don't have as helicopter pilots, you know. Uh, so many of like you know of the big airlines. They have deals with certain flight schools where you go and you get your fixed wing certifications there and then you go and instruct for them. And then when you hit a certain number of hours, they move you on to be like second in command or first officer on a regional jet, spend some time there, just kind of get put into the pipeline. Your first few years as a fixed wing pilot, you don't make any money either. Mm -hmm. But the top end is significantly higher for them than it just is. I mean, there's a few lucky people who will make a lot of money flying helicopters, but it's it's the exception, not the rule. Right. You know, you, you stick your time out fixed wing and you know just move up the pipeline and you eventually get there you know we have to plan that out all on our own which i kind of obsessively plan out like career moves anyway like oh i want to go from here to here to here to here to here but when i look at like those jobs i might be interested in down the road especially if the next job turns into not a forever job for me although at least if it happens i've been pretty happy with them so far but um you know it's like oh well i was you know as a flight instructor i made sure i hit pretty much all of my ATP minimums. Like it was just kind of, just in case, down the road I want to do it. And that ended up being something that they were really thrilled with. I think it's actually one of the things that, uh, that uh, so far at least have made them like me. But, you know, then it's like, all right, so I've got that checked off. Or maybe I want to go do wildland firefighting, but I don't really have like the long line experience. So then it's like, where do I go to get the experience for that job? And you end up having to do this, you know, this weird little um, uh, helicopter pilot, like bounce from job to job to job thing to finally get the experience to do the one you want. And that's all on you. Like it's how much of a sense of adventure you have and how much you're willing to go and do the things. Well, and that's, a, that's a great point with the, with the helicopter versus airplane thing. They maybe at the top end of their career, they make great money, mm-hmm. but also we get to have a lot of fun. We mm-hmm. get to do long lining and offshore oil rigs and firefighting and EMS. I think I think we have a capability of really, and we get to be home more. Well, I mean, we're moving around probably more, but we get to be home more. 
What did your family say when you decided you wanted to be a helicopter pilot? Oh, well, to this day, my mom, actually to this day, the only person from my family who's ever even flown with me is my sister. Uh, you know, my mom was sure I was going to die. I'm sure she still is sure I'm going to die. Yeah, same. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's all right. I, as you know, Shannon told me once, I've had a good run. You know, it's fine. It is what it is. <laughs> yeah, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. It's better. It's better than the boring life I would have had otherwise. Yeah. So w- was your family overall accepting? I think my family was was accepting that this is what I was going to do, mm-hmm. whether or not they accepted it. And now that I've been doing it for a while, they're much more accepting of it. You know, uh, there's there's no pilots in my family. There's nobody who's ever done anything like this in my family. And so it's it's a, a scary thing for people in my family. And now that I've been doing it for a while, I'm able to demonstrate that it, I guess it isn't as scary as it probably was mm-hmm. or as, as they thought it was. Uh, they're much more accepting, but even that, you know, they're probably sure I'm going to die on just about a daily basis. Do you think flying helicopters is dangerous? Yes and no. I don't think that it's inherently dangerous. You know, there's, it's more dangerous probably than some other things, but it's so much of a, how you approach it. You know, if you approach it as a, as safety first, then I think you are already kind of ahead of the game compared to a lot of other people. And that doesn't mean that you only, that you refuse to do anything. that's not perfectly safe. Like it, but, Let's say I, I think of it oftentimes like my time on the ambulance, where you're going on to 911 calls, walking into houses, you have no idea what's going on there. Like it's an inherently dangerous thing. There are times where I walk into houses and I'm like, I'm gonna get shot here today. Like this is the day I get shot. Mm. And so it's kind of take something that's dangerous and go about it as safely as possible. That's kind of how I feel like helicopters are. Like you you do what you can to cut down as many of the risks to offset those things and then do it as safely as possible. But like, you know, our MD500 friend who's pulling power lines, there was nothing remotely safe about having a power line attached to the bottom of a helicopter <laughs> and stringing it from pole to pole. And flying sideways. Yeah, and flying sideways while you're doing it. And he thinks our job's crazier than his. Yeah, no, he actually said that. Yeah, he, he said, said it to me. What you guys do is more dangerous. And, and so, you know, it's not the safest profession, but I also don't think it's nearly as dangerous as most people think it is. Yeah, and actually... I think it's safer now than I do before I was getting started. Um, I guess the general public's perception of helicopters is far different than it actually is. And I guess that goes with every part of or any job you do. But now that I'm an instructor, I know the regulations. I'm comfortable with them. I know the aerodynamics. I'm comfortable with them. And I know the helicopter. And I'm also comfortable with that. The real problem is me. You know, mm-hmm. it's my and every accident you read, like, I don't know, probably more than 80% of them are all pilot air. Yeah. The danger is not flying helicopters. The danger is myself. And how do you mitigate that? You know, we've got checklists and personal morals and ethics and rules to follow and personal minimums, but it's all, it's pretty much me and yeah. you. That's the danger. Like I, every night, in fact, we're almost past my bedtime right now. Like <laughs> I, I make sure I get a good night's sleep every night. And there's never been a time in my life where I, like, I stayed up all night, most of my life, like getting sleep. I don't know what that was. But now I totally make sure because if something happens, it happens quick in a helicopter. And that doesn't mean you can't deal with it. I think almost anything is survivable in a helicopter, let alone like, like not getting injured. Uh, as long as you're engaged with what you're doing. It, it really reminds me of, of when I first started learning to ride my motorcycle. You know, it's inherently more dangerous in some ways than a car. But if you let your attention lapse is when it's really, you start get things start getting dangerous. And helicopters the same way. Like you just have to keep focused and you can't be 100% vigilant 100% of the time. But it, that's, that's a skill you need to develop. Yeah. And just being tired, like it's harder to focus. Yeah, being tired, uh, being under the weather, hungover, sick. It really does affect your attention span so quickly. And that's the thing about a helicopter is like, your engine fails, you have a second and a half. Mm-hmm. I mean- I guess, I guess we quote that. I don't know the actual time. I've never tested it. I know it's pretty quick. It, Let me tell you, watching those RPMs. Yeah. When someone just throttle chops you, it doesn't feel like much longer than that. Well, and even if you get the collective fold down, they'll still fall. I know that I've done everything by getting the collective down and they'll come back up, but well, I hope. <laughs> Both times it has, it's worked for me. Yeah. But I mean, if you're just behind the ball for a second, or one of the things I really teach my students, we have this I'm safe checklist. It's the FAA thing, but like, your emotions too. Mm-hmm. You just broke up with your girlfriend or your dog died or your mother died. You will not, I don't think you can respond as quickly. Yeah. And that's your life on the line. I, uh, 
I was actually working at independent helicopters the day my grandfather passed away mm. and had a full book of a perfect day of flying full book of flights. I don't even remember. I think I was, I think I was probably planning and do it. It was, you know, more one of the longer days of the year, probably like six flights of auto rotations or something. And I was not mentally capable of doing that sort of thing. I ended up canceling some of the newer students who I just didn't think that, uh, I personally had the attention span to deal with. Like it wasn't like a, I'm going to go teach somebody who doesn't know what the controls do sort of day. And I did do one or two flights, uh, but I, and I'm, you know, sorry, I guess we're doing ground today. Like didn't tell them why. Yeah. I'm feeling a little under the weather. I'm not going to go flying. You can, we can do ground if you want to. Yeah. Right. But it, I mean, it, it is what it is, right? It, it's you, you have to stay focused. Yeah. Like you just do. You got to be in the moment. And one of the final things, uh, you, you mentioned this, but like being a flight instructor um, versus like the tour gig, we're talking about these two routes, but looking at those ATP minimums and like your part 135 minimums, if you just go be a tour pilot, maybe you'll build up hours pretty quick, but we do it pretty quick as flight instructors. You also get lots of cross country time and experience at new airports mm-hmm. um, and off airports and maneuvers. I mean, in like nighttime hours, you think about like how many boxes we can check with our students. Like we're not, we're obviously not using them, but we do benefit from what they need. I think you can get a lot more done as a flight instructor for your career than not. Yeah. You know, I don't think that everybody needs to do it. And not everybody does as long as I have, I guess. Not, not everybody's on it for like a two-year gig. I always figured it was two years minimum. Like that was just kind of what I, you know, filed away in my head. And even at that, like I don't, can't quite make myself get completely out of the game if I get another job. So I'm still going to be hanging around. But being able to check off those 100 nighttime hours, being able to check off the cross-country hours, being able to check off the instrument hours, like just having a simulator around that I can use when I want to. Yeah. Uh, let alone the, what, uh, the cross-country, the total hours, the PIC hours. Night cross-country. Night cross-country hours. Like, yeah. You get, even if you're a tour pilot, you can't, I don't think you can get night cross-country. No. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be super few and far between. Maybe you get to ferry a helicopter and then let you do it at night. Yeah. Because they want them to have it for the daytime so they can do tours. You could do that once a week as a flight instructor. Yeah, but I have, uh, I have checked off virtually every, I guess, box that I could check off as a flight instructor. Yeah. And, you know, when I've been out, you know, interviewing with people, I mean, that's what, the, you know, they look at my hours. And it's not the total hours because a lot of the jobs I've been uh, applying to, I barely hit their minimums. Mm-hmm. I've, uh, I've been trying to skip the tour pilot job, yeah. right? So I barely, like, I am right at their minimums, but then they've been liking me because it's not just the minimum hours, it's all the other hours. It's the nighttime hours, the cross-country hours, and uh, it's been good for me having that. And it also feels cool to have to see a double eye behind your name. It does. <laughs> it feels great. All right, Nick, well, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, good luck with all of your future endeavors. And uh, I'm, I'm sure we will get an update on how your job prospects look, but you enjoyed your time as a flight instructor. Yeah. I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Honestly, I wouldn't, and I wouldn't, and I'm glad I ended up where I did. Like independent helicopters was the best possible place for me to go. Yeah, I, I concur. And do you, do you have any regrets about your journey to become a helicopter pilot? No, you know, sometimes like I could have taken a little bit longer and had a little bit more fun, but I, Shannon, uh, I could have taken a few more vacations maybe. But that's about it. Like, really, I'm, I'm, I'm always like an all or nothing sort of person anyway. So I was never going to, you know, take the slow route. And it's done pretty good for you. So far. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully it keeps doing all right for me. Yeah, man. Well, thank you for coming out. I appreciate it, Nick. Not a problem. Thank you. Take it.